Welcome to Funny Women Behind the Scenes, a sequent covered podcast hosted by international showgirl and comedian Ivy Page. We'll be exploring what it's really like to work in the entertainment industry, from live comedy and cabaret to television and film. Brought to you by Funny Women, the leading community for female comedy. So let's get on with the show and welcome your host, Ivy Page. Hello and welcome to the real life work of art or piece of work, award deserving, flame haired, titan of teas. Yes, it's me, Ivy Page. It's time to take a seat on my chaise lounge in my personal burlesque boudoir as we break the fourth wall, draw back the velvet curtains and reveal what really happens behind the scenes. It gives me great pleasure to go behind the scenes with comedian and writer Lynn Ruth Miller. I'm so excited to see you. I am. Uh, I'm excited to see you too. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've had the vaccine. My book, my book is published. Why don't we start by talking about your book? All right. So tell everybody what your book's called. My book is called Getting the Last Laugh. And it's about how I got into comedy, but it tells you about my life. And I think that the book is, is I thought it was good for comedians because it has a whole set a comedy set, and I analyze it as I go, and I talk about how if that joke doesn't work, I do this, and and where I the placement of the jokes. It's it's actually for com- comedians, but the whole thing is a story, of of of. It has, it, there's backstories of my life, and it's a story of persistence, I guess. So I'm gonna let's rewind because obviously you are my dear friend, but you are also a comedian and writer, and. Um, Let's tell our listeners about how you kind of how you got into comedy because you started comedy later on in life. I think that would be fair to say. Yes, I started comedy. I started comedy because I'm a journalist and I was going to write a story about the San Francisco Comedy College, and I called him, and his name is Curtis Matthews. And he is, I wish he would be listening, he is an absolutely magnificent comedian, but he never performs because he is doing this comedy. He got this idea and he's doing this comedy college. And when he, when I called him, I said, I'd like to write a story about this, the college, and I need to take the course. And he called back and said, I just love small Jewish women. <laughs> <laughs> and so I took the course. And that's what happened. And, and everything that I have done, there's a, there's a term called an also ran. I never really made it. I would almost get to everything and then never really made it. And 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 I, I was had a master's in journalism. I was doing freelance writing, but I never got a job in a newspaper. I had a master's degree in education and creative arts for education, and I never really I, I never really was teaching anything. I was teaching at at like adult education and summer school for children, but never mm-hmm. like like in a, in a college or in a, in a regular job. I had for six years, but mostly. I was just doing part-time stuff. I never really made it. I was divorced twice. I wanted a relationship. I never really made it. And then all of a sudden, at the end of this course, you take a, you do a, a an exam. And I did it at Cobb's Comedy Club, which is big in San Francisco. And because 
the others were so bad. The other students were 18 and 19, and they were so bad, you know, and their families are all there. And it was so bad that whatever I did was funny. I really wasn't that good, but I, I, I swept the place. I was the star. I was, woo. And I had never been a star before in my whole life. I was just a failure. I was a failure to everything. Everything I tried, it just, I painted, and I and nobody ever bought any paintings. So, and I wrote novels. I wrote 11 novels, and I never could get a publisher. I mean, I was always just a failure, and then, and then, and doing all these things. And, and I was written up in the Pacifica paper because I was an artist that nobody, nobody I painted pictures no one saw, and, and uh, wrote books nobody read. So they wrote me up. This one, and she walks dogs. <laughs> That's what I did. And and so anyway, so all of a sudden at the end of this, I was a star. And I'm 70 years old, and I drive, which, by the way, Britain is so fortunate that I'm not driving here. <laughs> yeah, you are so fortunate. Um, but I, I, I was 70. I had nothing better to do at night. So I went to open mics. And I discovered, yeah, I, I thought, oh my God, you know, this is fun. But what happened is because I was very reclusive, I started getting a society. I started meeting people for lunch. I never went out for lunch. I never went to a restaurant. From the time I was, oh, I don't think I was in a restaurant from the time I was 36 until I was 70. I, I never did a thing like that. And I never went to, I never went to like, like do people go to these big concerts that I went to symphony and I went to opera. That was all. And I ushered. I didn't pay for tickets because I had no money. So all of a sudden now I've got something to do that doesn't cost anything. Yeah, I'm running around and I'm, I didn't know it was a career. I didn't know you could make a lot of money at it. I didn't know anything that I just knew, my God, this is fun. And, and that's what happened. So I drove into, I lived outside the city. I lived by the ocean. And I drove into the city and, and I think you know me well enough to know I'm not afraid of anything. So the, the, the comedy. Really? I had noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so the comedy clubs were in these terrible neighborhoods. And San Francisco has really bad, bad uh, neighborhoods. And there was a place called 50 Mason that was, it was in the, it, it, it's absolutely the worst area of San Francisco. I mean, you had to step over the dope addicts because they were passed out in the street. But I would just drive down there, park the car, step over everyone and go in. You know? And so what did you do? Did you, were you doing like a five minutes? Did you work at a five minute set? Doing five minutes. I was doing five minutes. And then, and this is apropos of you, after I think, I don't think it, it was a year. Somebody said to me, why don't you, um, why don't you add songs? And I said, well, because I can't sing. And they said, well, that's funnier. And so I said, well, I have been singing a song since I was eight. Uh, called the strip polka. By the way, this is how I got into cabaret, and I um and and he said, well, that would be really funny. And I thought, well, strip polka, uh, she's taking off something. Now, when I was eight, I had no idea. It's a song that makes fun of burlesque, and you sing, take it off, take it off. So he made a guitar accompaniment, and I'm singing, take it off, take it off, at a redneck blue collar bar where they're playing pool over in the corner. And as I and I, so I figured, well, I better take off something. So you have to realize what my life was like before. I lived in track suits. That's what I lived in. I, I usually see you in sequins. No sequins, nothing, no. 
No, not like you see me at all. And so I, I went to a charity shop and I got some fancy underwear. And I, I, so I, so I took off a couple of robes. And, and my accountant, who knew that I had no money, <laughs> and he, he used to do my books for nothing because I loved his canary. He had a canary. Yeah, honest. His name was Robbie. And anyway, he was there. And of course, all these other people were paying no attention to me at all. And the guitarist is playing, and I'm ripping off clothes. I still have lots of clothes on, but I'm ripping off. And he put a $5, this is in America, he put a $5 bill in my brassiere. And nobody had been in my brassiere for at least, oh, 50 years. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do this again. And that, Ivy Page, is how I got into cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you how I got into cabaret. One of the reasons I got into cabaret, you know the song I used to sing, Close to You? Yes. Um, the reason I sing that song is um, I was asked to host a show at Volopto, which is, a, I don't know, do you remember the cabaret club Volopto on Chancery Lane? And uh, I didn't sing either then. And I literally went out and bought a book of called 10 Songs for Women to Sing. And that was the only one on the CD I could sing. And then I ended up singing that for 10 years and performing it all over the world. <laughs> yeah, I sing. I still sing the strip polka. I still sing. But you have a beautiful voice. I have a terrible voice, but nobody cares. And that's what happened at the Edinburgh Festival. In 2005, by that time I was 72, I took a group of comedians. I love this story because it's so ridiculous. I called Hartley Kemp at C-Venue. Oh, I remember Hartley. Yeah. Oh, he is my hero. It's because of him. I don't want to get off the subject, but let's come back to Hartley. But I called him and I said, how would you like comedy from San Francisco? And he's thinking, oh, Robin Williams, Margaret Cho. Oh, yeah. And I brought him the beginners from my comedy college. That's what I brought him. And he said, yes, we'll do it. And, and, I, and it was the year that they were featuring burlesque. So I did that song at the end of, of the, the show. The show was called Weapons of Laugh Destruction. And we, I did that show at the end of the, I did that song at the end of the show. And I, I, I was, suddenly I was the star of the festival. I jumped out of a cake for the Odeon's uh, 75th birthday because I was 72. Um, <clears throat> I did. I did stuff at the at the Carlton Hotel. I was I was I was everywhere because of this little song. That, that, because, because they said, you know, there's a 72 year old woman that's stripping, and everybody's thinking they're going to see some flesh, but they didn't. They didn't. I, I was covered up. Exactly. I, leave them wanting more. <laughs> so yes, I, I leave them wanting more. That's right. I do. I leave them wanting more. You're listening to Funny Women Behind the Scenes. All the backstage gossip and more. I wanted to ask you about your joke writing, because you talk about it in your book, don't you? It was yes, I talk about it. It's funny. Someone said to me uh, that comedians write every day. How do, you, how do you write your material? I'll sit down and I'll think of a funny incident, and then I'll write about it, and then I will go into that story and cut out all the extra words. Really? Yeah, you just cut and cut and cut. You've got to get to the funny. Do you think your background as a writer and journalist helps you to edit your own material? 
Yes, yes, that's a, that nobody's ever asked me that before. Yes, in journalism years ago, you write a story for the newspaper and they cut it from the bottom up to fit the column. They cut it from the bottom. So you have to get everything you say in the beginning. I'm so used to just telling it all in the first paragraph and then elaborating after because that's journalism. So if you were uh, talking to other comics or comedians listening to this and they were like needed some advice about how to write their material. I, I say cut out, cut out your darlings, cut out your darlings, but they won't do it. I, I've taught courses and, and they just won't do it. They, 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 they can't see they're not giving their audience the credit of intelligence. They'll elaborate on something to explain it. You don't have to explain it. You just, they get it. And the thing that people forget with audiences, um, comedy audiences, the difference between comedy audiences, cabaret audiences. Yeah, they are different audiences. Very different. The cabaret audience wants to love you. They want to love you. And, and of course, when I get up there, they say, oh, just like my nan. Oh, and they don't care. I'm terrible, but they don't care that, oh, I mean, you've seen me. I mess up every word of every song. They I thought that was just part of the act. Oh, I have. I have. <laughs> I just cover it well. I'm, but, but the comedy audience wants to laugh. Unless you get to something like the gong show. In the gong show, they want to kill you. They, they, they really want to kill you. I was very angry at the gong. And I think, I think audiences have a responsibility. I think people with a, a, com, a comic is, is opening up his heart to you. It might not sound like it, but mm -hmm. it's the same for cabaret. Cabaret audiences are much kinder. Cabaret audiences are much more loving. This is Funny Women Behind the Scenes. If you want to know more about us, visit www.funnywomen.com. Do you, do you perform the same material for a cabaret show that you do in a comedy show? No. Cabaret show, I tell stories. Cabaret show, I tell stories. And then I sing, which is awful. <laughs> but I sing. I sing. And thanks to Michael Roston and Sarah Lee Young, I have some good songs. And, and I sing. Um, cabarets, the, my cabarets are really about, about me and about my life. One is about, uh, one's called Not Dead Yet, and it's about how I've really rushed death uh, all the way through my life. And, and then uh, I love that cabaret. I haven't done it in a while. And then I've got one called, uh, I've got one that started out, I wrote it when I was 78, and it was called Approaching 80. Now it's called 87. <laughs> And I talk about how you can't let fear, you can't let fear orchestrate your life. You simply cannot. And you cannot, if you're a performer, you've got to believe in yourself and you've got to not think, what will mommy say? What will my partner say? You have to think, I am, and you also have to realize you're giving something. Many performers don't. You're, you're giving something to a group of people. You're taking them out of themselves you're you're giving them a gift so your cabarets are more personal stories yes so when you're writing your stand-up material what content are you using for that is that 
is that mining on personal stuff or is it observational? It's observational, but when I began, it was just observational jokes. Uh, I, was, I mean, I can still remember some of the stuff that I thought up. But, uh, observational jokes. I would start with something that's happened to me because that's how I start and just go off the wall. It's observational. Then John Gordillo came up to me and said, that's nothing about you. Why don't you write? So now you've heard it. I do a whole thing about what it feels like to be me. Mm. And so I talk about that. It's it's more, I center it on the fact that you are looking at an old lady. I'm telling you what it's like to live like an old lady. Whereas when I began, I just was doing observational things. It was always about, I always have centered it on the fact that I'm old because that's what's funny. And that's also my calling card. You know, mm -hmm. Your USP. Yes, that's right. That's right. But one of the things that um that that is is interesting is that when i when i do this in a in a comedy bill i'll be the only woman very often and what i am is the novelty act and it is horrible i'm very I was angry say, how does that make you feel angry because comedy bookers are not realizing that women are funny there are as many funny women as there are funny men. And of course, from my perspective, there are more funny women, but, but I'm being funny. Uh, but actually, there are as many funny women as there are funny men, but they get the bottom of the bill. They get the uh, bottom of the bill. And it's... More it's, funny women, and you're on the Funny Women podcast. Yes, yes. I didn't, I, I didn't realize it. It took me a while to connect to realize that I am. <laughs> but yes... Yes, there are funny women are funny, and they do, they shouldn't have to fight to get equal standing in the. And do you think do you think women are fighting? Yes, I, whether they're fighting or not, the truth is that they aren't booked as much. It's terrible. They're not booked as much. They're just as funny as these men that are up there. They're just as funny, and many of them are funnier, to me. Um, but but they're not there. And this is because comedy is a business. And the comedy bookers think, I've got to get bums in seats. And mm -hmm. I'm going to get a name that's on television. I'm going to get a name someone's heard. It's the same theory as the reason Donald Trump won. Because Donald Trump was a name that got in the headlines every single day during his campaign because he was so outrageous and disgusting. And people from America who, as, as uh, our friends said, are amazingly illiterate, people from America say, oh yeah, I know that name, I'm voting for him. No, I, it's the same thing with bookers. They say, yeah, they want people that say, I know that name, I know that name. So comedians that can afford a PR person will get farther and this infuriates me by the way and i hope the people know who i'm talking about because i hate them that will get farther than people with real talent but the other thing that all of us all of us need of perform as performers need to realize that although we are giving them a gift and we are we're taking them away from themselves away from their daily worries but they paid money, and if they didn't pay money, they paid in time to see us, and we owe them. I do not believe this thing about it was a bad audience. You weren't in tune with the audience. That was what's wrong.
I always think that. I don't never blame your audience. That's a girl. Never. Work harder on your material. That's right. It's, but it's, I, I, I mean, if we go back to the women in comedy. I think things are changing now. There are some massive female names on TV, and we've got Catherine Ryan, Sarah Pascoe, London Hughes, Desiree Birch. You know, they've all uh, won the Funny Women Awards. Um, yeah. So I do think things are changing. I think they're changing more here than in the United States. When I went back to the United States, I was again the only woman on the bill. And I'm the novelty act. They do not, you have to understand, they do not consider me a woman on the novelty act. I'm the novel. They would have, if they were going to have one novelty act, they might have a magician, they might have a, a ventriloquist, or they'd have the old lady. I'm, I'm the novelty act. The rest are men. When I come here, it still isn't How the way. do you feel, truthfully, though, about your age being used as a novelty factor? I believe I'm paving the way for older people. I want you, when you're in your 70s, to say, oh, I can start a new career, then Ruth did. I can. Well, actually, I can this, this is one question I really wanted to ask you, because I know you started comedy when you were 70, and obviously lots of people always go, oh, I'm too old now, I missed the boat. What would you say to those people? I would say, you're out of your mind. You, If you want to sit around and wait and to die, go ahead. That's what they're doing in this building where I live. They're just sitting around and they're waiting to die. Uh, I, I live every minute that I'm alive. And that really is, is my secret, if there's a secret. I live every minute that I'm alive. And I have a plan. I have a goal. I have places I want to go. I have this, I wrote an essay about this lockdown I was at my peak when this lockdown happened. And what I wrote was, for someone like you, and someone like anybody younger, and I'm by younger I mean 50, 60, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, you have a big long future. You can say, oh, next year I'll do it, or oh, I'll do it in two years. I'm 87, in three years I'll be 90. By the time this thing eases, I'm going to be 88. That's old. I don't feel old. But when so my horizon is closer than than others and they're taking away the future I can build. However, I say that but I don't believe it. If you want to do something and if you have a plan, you live until the day you die. I don't want that span in there where I'm sitting and babysitting grandchildren and changing diapers and not making, I don't want my life, my life goes this way, it, it expands. I don't want my life to suddenly level off. I don't wanna live the same day over and over. Now, some people who have had a hard life, who are tired, they've worked, they've, they've had 10 kids, they've, 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 they've slaved and haven't made enough money, they wanna just sit. Good, I don't want to. It's a choice. It's a choice. And it's a valid choice. You can't denigrate the people that say, no, I would like to be a vegetable for my last 20 years. I don't want to be a vegetable. I want to be a, 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 a rising star. <laughs> Lynn Ruth, you are so inspiring. Oh, bless your heart. That's because we love each other, Ivy. I know, but I would, I'm just sat here in a trance um because i you, you are so inspiring and i know that the all of our listeners will 
feel the same because I think it's very easy to think as we get older that there is less and actually you're living proof that there is so much to, to achieve and to, and to keep setting goals this is and not to worry I mean when I first began I thought well if the bookers don't want to book me I must be lousy but now I think to myself no I know what I can do and it's your loss if you don't put me on the stage which of course it's your loss but the thing is I believe in what I'm doing and I have it's taken me 17 years but I have found people who appreciate what I do and my I happen to love the cabaret the things we do at the Phoenix I adore I love it because I love introducing you yeah yeah oh no you always make me feel like woo woo but the thing is I love I love that 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 I can I can do a little song about who I am I can do my comedy and I've got an audience that is absolutely dying to love me I've never it's just beautiful that oh and that's you don't get that every day. The audience of the Phoenix, I would always like to say, at the end of the show, I would always say, lock the doors, I wanna do this whole thing again. Let's do it again, yeah, because they're wonderful. But those are high points, but you have to do, you have to do all of it. You have to do, you have to do the, the ones that, that don't work as well. Yeah, the shows that work. Because that's your, that's your teacher. That's who teaches you. And you have to know that a booker that won't book you is one person's opinion. That's all. One person. So you that person didn't like you. Well, you when you go out into the world, if somebody doesn't like you, you don't get so upset you want to kill yourself. But if you're a performer, if they won't book you, you're all, oh my God. No, you can't. It's just one person didn't think you were marvelous. So what? The next person will. Lynn Ruth, if you could give one piece of advice to um, maybe someone who's fearful of performing, what would you tell them? Keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. You'll find your audience. You'll find your place. And the other one piece of advice, you know, you never get one from me, you'll get two. Someone asked me whether, whether all the other things where I failed, they said, well, uh, how did you feel about that? And I said, you know, I loved every job I did. I loved it. And they said, well, did you love comedy? I said, no, with comedy, it's not loving a job. It's I found who I am. You've got to be there to be a performer. It has to be something you do no matter what. If it's just a job, do computer science. And on that note, I think we are going to go to the gym cabinet. Uh, Lynn Ruth Miller, my dear, dear friend, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us on Behind the Scenes. Um, I hope you've enjoyed your time with us. I did. I loved it. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was so kind. Well, I'm enticing her from behind the gin cabinet. It is our head honcho, Lynn Parker. Hello, Lynn. Hello. The gin is running rather dry. Well, we're going to have to restock before, <laughs> before the end of the year. Um, so I wanted to ask you, actually, um, about comedy training, comedy schools, um, because obviously funny women run courses, but... 
I think when you're starting out in comedy and you're scouring the internet to look, where do you start? Well, Lynn Ruth was really, I thought, very, uh, covered some really good advice on this whole topic. Um, I don't, you know what, everyone has their own way of starting stand-up. You've got loads of brilliant books, which you can buy. A lot of people like a book. Um, A good reference library. Um, Lynn Ruth's book, well, obviously people will go out and buy that. Um, There are other brilliant people who do training, coaching, who've also written books like uh, Oliver Double, um, who's written several books, and Logan Murray, who we know and love, has written several books, and Sally Holloway, who we also work with, have all written amazing books on everything from joke writing to performance skills or whatever. So if you're of that mindset, a book is often a good start point. Um, some people jump in feet first, they get on stage, they have no training, they just go and do it, they feel the fear and do it anyway. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you can find the right places to do it. Uh, we run open mic, as you know, with funny women. And sometimes that's a brilliant place, you know, you just kind of trying it out, testing it out. And if you're brave enough, that's not a bad way. And then there are millions of different courses. Um, Obviously, a lot of people have taken them online this year. Uh, There's lots of courses, there's lots of workshops. Um, I myself run a Stand Up Stand Out, which is an introduction to comedy. I um, treat it very much as a way of finding your feet, whether you want to write it, whether you want to be a sketch character act or whether you want to do stand-up uh that that's quite a good intro point goodness me there's so many ways you can start that and obviously stand-up is now and comedy in general is such a huge market there's a lot of it eats people up you know eats up content so uh you know don't go into it thinking you might never get anywhere with it because you might think you want to do stand-up i mean i did quite a few years ago now um do Logan Murray's course thinking maybe I want to be a stand-up maybe it's something Mm. I could do you know I'm always with stand-ups I by that stage run funny women for about five years but you know what I actually love being on the other side of the fence and I think a lot of people ask me oh why aren't you a stand-up I'm not a stand-up because I love the production side of it. And I love the, you know, I have a, get a really good crack out of seeing people who have been in a workshop with me now on television, you know, doing their material, you know, doing their material live at the Apollo. Uh, some of the material I've even seen started in a workshop. I was going to say that it, you it's must brilliant. get a real buzz out of seeing, you know, somebody do like their five minutes and then, watching that journey and kind of being part of that journey yeah I mean you know I must I must say outright this isn't down to me you know comedy great comedy and great stand-ups it's all down to them their self-belief their uh chutzpah well that's what one of the things that really struck me with Lynn Ruth was her self-belief yes and and if you think you can see yourself on stage at Live at the Apollo in two years' time from now, then that is a great possibility. But if you see yourself just doing the back of pub rooms for the next five years, that's what you'll end up doing. You do have to have a vision of what 
this comedy career is going to look like. And I think you have to have that level of self-belief. I very much believe in visualisation. I That's how so I work. I really do. Yeah. So going back to the training and coaching, I don't think there is a right way. I mean, you know, test things out, do a workshop. You know, you and I work on the comedy crash courses, which we absolutely love doing you know we I, well I've been on both sides because I've yeah. been a participant twice yeah. and uh, a facilitator yeah. and I've enjoyed both experiences when I did the course obviously I'm developing my stand-up so I was a bit like oh I'm good <laughs> am I going to be able to be funny with everybody um but the best thing I got out of it I learned loads of new techniques to write jokes um that I I just hadn't approached writing material in that way before a bit like Lynn actually in terms of like this is how I write my cabaret shows and now this is how I write my comedy and kind of compartmentalizing those and the other thing that I got out of the the comedy crash course was the network yes I think that's so important isn't it really 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 and I always whenever people ask me about the course and I'm so it's brilliant you're going to learn so much I said but one of the things that you it's like it's like a a bonus (laughs) Yeah. is that you get this access to this network and then that helps with work, generates work. I mean, just briefly to blow the trumpet for funny women, what has come out of the last year is the strength of that community and the way we all support each other. I I, I mean, I hadn't, you know, I had a message earlier uh, today saying thank you for... Uh, Every, I think they'd done one of the courses or one of or the workshop, and they said, you know, funny women has has kept kept me going, you know. And I think so. That's great because obviously, pandemic is a pretty unusual environment. But even without that, I think that community and that we we become team leaders for each other, you know. And I think the one thing women are really good at, which we sometimes forget, and maybe maybe COVID has made us think about this again, is that we're brilliant collaborators. We have to work together to succeed. You run cabaret nights. You know that you have your team who you will work with who make that happen. I feel the same. I can't do what I do without my team, you know, of which you're a part of Ivy as well. Um, So, you know, that, that is something we get out of it. And so when you start writing and developing comedy, um, you know, some of the best writing comes out of table writing, you know, which they do a lot in America. So you have a big sitcom. Yeah, and everyone sits around the table. Everyone sits around the table. You write for a different character. And actually the best bit about that is the creative process because you have an opportunity to try ideas out with other people. And that's in a way what I think we try and replicate with everything we do with the comedy courses and the, Certainly I do with Stand Up, Stand Out. It's not, it's not about me. It's about you and everything you're trying to say. I have to say, I think the editing side of things is one of the skills that you can really easily forget when you're writing material because you think everything you've written is amazing. <laughs> so you don't want to, uh, to cut it. But actually, when I was before lockdown, editing and doing my my five minute set uh, it's quite interesting of how 10 minutes can so easily become two really good minutes and then I think on that note we should edit ourselves yeah we should probably 
I'm going to send her back to the gin cupboard and uh, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode. You've been listening to Funny Women Behind the Scenes with Ivy Page. If you like us, please subscribe, review and share.